You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, 40 Days with James. Now looking at the chair and the floor. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. This is James, day nine. In the late first century, in the time of the Emperor Domitian, 81 to 96 AD, two men were called to appear before him. These were descendants of David, and they were also leaders in local Christian churches. Now, the emperor had heard a claim that the seed of David would conquer Rome, that is, a descendant of King David, who had died more than a thousand years earlier. And he wanted to know, are these people a threat? These are Christians. What do I expect from them? Do I need to take action? What exactly are their intentions? And so he interviewed them, or maybe interrogated them, and they replied that their kingdom was not of this world. They extended their hands, and what Domitian saw were, well, hands that were thick with calluses, they were dirty. They were clearly peasants' hands. These were men who had worked the field all their lives. These were not the hands of soldiers, and so he let them go. Their grandfather is someone you've probably heard of, Yehuda. Well, in the Bible, we call him Jude, the one who wrote that little book right before Revelation. Their grandfather actually had four brothers. James was one. Another, although technically a half-brother, was a builder whose name is Jesus. I begin with this little story because we have a wrong view of religion if we separate faith and salvation from caring for the needy. We're continuing right on from the previous session where we looked at worthless religion. If we say we'll do something or we care and it's just talk, if we're not actually helping people who have the need, well, that's not good. Now, I realize some of us may think, I don't really need to worry about orphans and widows because I'm not really that wealthy. I'm not sure how much I would help them. I'm middle class. Well, (laughs) James himself was not wealthy, and I would like to illustrate that at a moment. We just looked at his descendants. I suppose they would be his his grandnephews. But in 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul is talking about support. The apostles often were underfunded. I mean, they usually received room and board. Well, sometimes they had to work for it, and hopefully traveling expenses. And Paul is saying that Christians should be willing to give up their rights, to waive them. And this is 1 Corinthians 9, 4 and 5. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? That's uh, Peter. Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Well, James is one of the Lord's brothers, and the Lord's brothers... Uh, they spoke, they, they traveled, they could take their wives with them. They had a right to do that. But it's clear that they weren't wealthy because the discussion is about support. That is, if these other great Christian leaders 
receive financial support. Well, it's not wrong that Paul would receive financial support. Who needs financial support? Not the independently wealthy, right? So James wasn't wealthy. He had uh, needs. Now, tomorrow we'll actually begin our lesson with a discussion of Jesus's own socioeconomic status. But I wanted to frame uh, our discussion today with, um, let's say, a, a sober estimate of the wealth of Jesus's own family. And so we, we're looking at uh, his brother James. We've, we've discussed the uh, the, the grandnephews, um, that is the, the, the grandsons of Jude. And now let's read James 2 verses 1 to 4. This is our passage. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? What is this occasion that James is referring to? Someone walks into a meeting. We normally assume it's a church meeting. Uh, it could well be a regular church gathering. Or in the context of James, it could be a special meeting of the church, almost like a court where uh, needs are being discussed, uh, claims adjudicated, something similar to 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says that um, even in the church, we can take care of our needs. We don't need to go to the courts. But either way, whether it's a church meeting or court, the point's the same. Now, what we, one thing we notice right here, and I've mentioned this in a previous talk, is that the group is stratified. Uh, it's not everyone is in the same socioeconomic class. And interestingly, right here, you have two people who walk in. One is really poor and one is obviously rich. The early church had poor people in it and they seem to have predominated. You could read more about this in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 6, and so forth. In other words, it wasn't homogeneous like so many modern churches that are all the same class or the same color or, or nearly also. So what is James doing here? Well, he's attacking snob snobbery, partiality. As we'll see tomorrow, um, just a few verses later on, the people who are guilty of favoritism are actually hurting themselves or undermining their own interests. But this is just worldly. And it raises the question to me, and I hope to you as well, do I show special attention to the rich? Am I afraid to offend them? I've observed that church leaders often treat wealthy members deferentially. Well, even if they're not members. That is, they hold back from challenging them or preaching the truth lest they be offended. Church leaders often treat them preferentially, not just deferentially preferentially because they hope to benefit from their donations. I was reading a fairly recent issue of Christianity Today, maybe maybe it was a couple months back, and there was a, a pastor who refuses to know what the members give. He doesn't want to know what anyone gives. Now, there are other, in this article, there are some who's, who... Uh, 
preferred that, but they weren't. it wasn't a rule. And there are others who wanted to know what everyone gave. It was kind of a spectrum. Often in Christianity today, you'll get a, a, a kind of a range of viewpoints. But this one fellow said, no, I, I, simp- I don't want to know what anyone's giving because I'm afraid it'll affect my preaching. Lest he be swayed and show favoritism, this fellow is taking a pretty uh, conservative line. Isn't that something we should think about? There are further implications for servant leadership. Many years ago, a man moved into our group, into our city. He was in our ministry. And some, for some reason, the issue came up of the first row. That is, on Sunday, is it okay to sit there? And he told me that in his previous ministry, he had sat in the first row and been strongly rebuked because the church leader said, those are reserved for God's men. Those are for men of God. And I thought, wow. Um, and of course, I, I told him, there's no rule on this. You can sit wherever you like. Actually, I myself prefer to sit on an aisle and often even in the back, but there's no rule here. Yet, and often in conferences, the big wigs are in the front rows. And it makes us wonder, and I'm not, my point is not to you know, establish a new seating order, but Jesus criticized the Pharisees for always wanting the best seats, places of honor at banquets, the best seats in the synagogue, Matthew 23, 6. Many Christian leaders are themselves the ones who walk into church with the fine clothes and maybe jewelry, and they've driven in a great car. In many churches, and this is uh, multiple denominations, the pastor is the wealthiest uh, individual in the entire congregation, and the church is okay with that. How far uh, we can drift from the spirit of Jesus Christ, how much we can ignore the very clear teachings, as, such as we see here in, in James. So the question is, have we become judges with evil thoughts? That is, are we guilty of favoritism, or elitism? Uh, have we somehow, well, just mirrored the world? Are some of our attitudes towards wealth and power identical to those of the world? It will show in how we treat the powerless, how we treat the least in God's kingdom, and also how we treat the greatest, those who have influence and who are wealthy and confident. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to you for the New Testament. We're so happy that James's contribution is included because it's so poignant, clear, and we know we need it. By your word, we are warned, and in keeping your commandments, there's great reward. But Lord, we don't do so well discerning our errors. Please forgive us our hidden faults and keep us also from willful sins. May they not rule over us. May they not characterize our fellowship so that we may be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And finally, Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart and our actions this day towards our fellow human beings be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on 40 Days with James. 
For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.